Let's stand. We're so excited to worship with you this morning. Welcome to New Life Church. I wanted to sing, not sing. I wanted to read. My voice is my ear. I got to get up. I wanted to read Psalm 150 this morning before we sang our first song. Uh, it's a psalm of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and flute. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Everything that has breath shall praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. So, Father, this morning we, we worship and we give you our, our praise. We, we give you what we, bring, what we can bring in this moment. We are all in different places, Father, and you know that. But you just love the, the, the flavor of praise that we each can, can give you from this, this side of heaven, Father. So we're ready and we're honored. Accepted 
you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Do not, so do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, as submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So, let's put that to practice. I am going to deploy these or paper airplanes, but know that if you pick this up, I'm gonna ask you to come up here and share a psalm with me. Okay? So, one to the right. Watch your eyes. Oh! Whoa. See how well I could do this. One to the left. Please watch your eyes. I'll go up. Oh, I'm sorry. You good? So only if you're willing, would you come up here, please? Let's just share a psalm. We're only going to read a couple verses. They're written on the inside. It's fine. You can pass it on to somebody who would like to. There's no pressure. <laughs> no, you're staying, Melody. What does yours say? One through three? Okay. And um, here we go. Would you start us? Psalm 138, one through three. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Yes. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. 
for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Thank you, Melanie. With that, will you please rise? Seven, a couple quick announcements. Now that we've greeted each other with psalms, everybody's feeling a little loose. If you're new here, welcome, and disregard this next slide, because I'm going to talk about tithes and offerings. If you're brand new, I don't want your money. Uh, we want you to be welcome here. These slides are for when it comes up. Hey, show them what they want, Kai. A mailbox, a giving box, our website, and the Church Center app. For those of you who are looking to change the way you give, those are options. Uh, or if you have been with us for a while, made a wanted to make a commitment that you know this is your church home. Uh, these are your options to uh, pour into it. Um, and yes, if you're uh, new here, uh, please you can talk to myself or Derek uh, about things. Or next, um, yes, next Sunday, uh, August seventh, right after service, we're gonna have our um, our basics course held by. Uh, it's just a class. It's like 30 to 40 minutes. But uh, Pastor Angelo is going to be uh, going over some things. So you can hang out, but also some of us will be here, and you can just pick our brains or just get to know us or get to know each other. So um, that is it. Thank you. I just want to pray real quick. Lord, thank you for this, your body of Christ. Each one of us endowed with different gifts coming from the same spirit. Lord, we want to come together and do what we were created to do. Worship you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh 
Can't control. I want more. 
that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So much more. We need so much more. Mm. We can't hold back our prayer. Thank you. You know, unless we have that attitude that we're here to receive from him, we're like sponges wrapped in saran wrap. And not much can get in our hearts that way. But if we leave ourselves open, we say, Lord, I'm here so that you can speak to me and talk to me, then things begin to happen. Pastor Andy's not feeling well today, so I'm the pinch hitter. So, um, so pray for me, <laughs> especially if I begin to wane a little bit, say, Lord, help that man. <laughs> you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but the Lord will speak to me through some of the everyday things that I'm doing in life. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to have this continual conversation with us. He wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to speak into us. He just... He doesn't want to be silent until we come to church and then we're ready to hear from him. He wants to be a part of our everyday life. And I I love saying that to myself every now and then, that God is not silent. Because if I remind myself of that, then I know that he wants to speak to me, not just when I open the Bible or when I pray, but all throughout the day, he wants to be speaking to me. You know, there are some times that I'm just doing an everyday something. And as I'm doing it, something about the kind of work or task or whatever it is, activity that I'm doing, uh, reminds me of something. And I know that's the Holy Spirit that's at work reminding me of that. And then the Lord begins to speak to me about those things. And, um, you know, that can happen with me pulling weeds. I can remember one time in my yard just pulling weeds out of a flower bed or something. 
And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about the weeds in my own life that I need pulled. And before you know it, I'm in tears there pulling weeds, you know, down on my knees. But that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? Now, some time ago, my sons and I decided that we needed to clear a piece of, of the property where I live, and it was really overgrown with blackberries. And you know the problems that we have with blackberries around here. Um, and as I began to see the whole process that we went through to clear those blackberries, the Lord was just speaking to me about a lesson for our own lives about sin and about temptation and about really overcoming those kinds of struggles that we had. Because wrestling with blackberry vines is a really cool picture of what we do sometimes in wrestling with sin. And we get wounded and it's difficult. It's not an easy thing. So it's not the easiest thing in the world to clear blackberries out of a place. But once it's done, it begins to look beautiful, begins to be restored. So we're going to talk about that struggle that we have with sin, that we have with temptation. And something that I want to bring in is our sin nature that we have within us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that too. Now, I don't have to tell you that blackberries just love the climate that we live in here. Now, if you go out to the desert parts of Oregon, you're not going to see blackberries at all. But they love it here, and they seem to thrive on it. And all of us have seen blackberry brambles by the side of the road. They may be even, unless you live in the middle of town or something, you know, they're going to be in your yard. They're going to be on the borders of your fence lines. They're going to be everywhere. And, and, and I've seen blackberry vines just almost cover entire houses, you know, like a small unused house or shed or something. They can just totally cover it or cars or trucks that have been abandoned in the woods are parked there. If you park for too long, you're going to get <laughs> covered with blackberries, right? They're just going to take over in that way. And those blackberries that we decided to tackle were an area where, I mean, if you just do nothing with blackberries, they're going to do something, and they're just going to start taking over, right? So they had taken over that whole park and covered the fence line. You couldn't even see the fence. It was just all covered with blackberries. So my sons decided there was an old dead tree there. They cut it down. They began a, you know, a small burn pile, and they burned the limbs, and then started uh, attacking those blackberries to clear that section. Now, you know that you can't attack a blackberry without it attacking you. It doesn't, I mean, I don't own gloves that come up to here, so your arms get all scratched, and sometimes, you know, you're thinking to yourself, in fact, I've thought to myself, times when I'm picking blackberries, that I should get some duct tape and just kind of tape it on my arm, just so that I won't come out of that activity uh, wounded. But that's what happens. They have thorns, and those thorns are wicked. They seem to grab onto you, so they'll grab your sleeve or your pant leg, and they won't let go. And that's what happens when I'm riding my mower, and I go by a blackberry, and it grabs my pants, and it's just like, you know, it it's almost pulls me off of the mower because they, they attack back. So we did have some wounds to show for our effort in clearing all that, but in the end, we had cleared that section of ground, and all that was left 
were these little blackberry stubs. And you know what I mean if you've cleared blackberries, just little stubs everywhere of the blackberries that we had cleared up. And then we could see everything that had been hiding underneath the blackberries. So there's all kinds of litter of leaves and dead blackberry vines, everything that just littered that area. But one of the things that we could see now was the fence. But the fence, which was farm wire, was now rusted. It was knocked down by the weight of the blackberry bushes. And the posts were a little bit wobbly. And that's what happens when blackberries tend to take over. And as I looked at that scene, I began to think about what happens to you and me when Jesus comes into our lives after we've been living a life of sin without him. And he begins to clear out the things that have been holding us and binding us prisoners to a sinful lifestyle. And it's not a pretty picture all the time what happens when we first come to Jesus. I mean, it's miraculous because he does do a work in our lives and it's an inside work. But many of times we still rough around the edges just like my patch of ground that was reclaimed from the blackberries. And when Jesus reclaims you from life of sin, there can still be some things that he needs to rebuild because a lifetime of sin hath knocked that down, right? There's a passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs 24, verse 31. And in this passage of scripture, it says thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered in weeds and the stone wall was in ruin. And I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. See, I'm not the only one that learns a lesson from seeing things in life. Way back, the writer of Proverbs began to tell us the very same thing. And we're going to learn something today from this lesson about the blackberries. And just let the, the truth reach into your heart and speak to you today. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it said, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, the miraculous part of that verse of scripture is it says, while we were still sinners. So it's not as if we decided to do something. I know that some people do this because as a pastor, I've spoken to them and they give excuses why they haven't come to church before. And they say, well, you know, I had a lot of problems in my life. There was some sin and I thought I would just try to clean up my life a little bit before I came to church. But you see, that's getting things a little bit backwards because that's using our own willpower or strength to try to clean up our lives and it doesn't really work. I mean, people try it and it works for a little while and then you fall back into sin because it takes more than just your willpower to change your life. So actually what would, should happen is that right in the middle of where you are, no matter what the condition of your life, just let Jesus in the door. If you let him in, then he'll begin the work that needs to be done of setting you free. And this verse tells us that even though we weren't trying, Jesus stepped into our lives 
while we were yet sinners, his great love forced his way into our sinfulness so that we could be set free. Just like trying to force your way into a bramble of blackberries so that you can set free whatever's underneath it. But it's his love that did that for us. Now, no one has to tell you that before you came to Jesus, you were bound by all kinds of sin. But I tell you this, and I've said it already, but I'll say it again. We are powerless to free ourselves from the grip of sin. We are powerless to do that on our own. If we had the power to free ourselves from sin, there would have been no reason for our Heavenly Father to send Jesus to die for us, to overcome sin and to be the victory for us. God knew that we couldn't do it on our own. God knew that we needed an answer, and the only answer was Jesus. And we have to accept that. We have to accept that even now as Christians being tempted by sin, that we cannot do it on our own that we needed Jesus in the beginning to come into the kingdom, but we need Jesus now to stay free from the things that keep trying to creep back into our lives. Now, we many times before we come to Jesus, we're under the control of sin, and I like to use that word control because sometimes it seems like our lives are out of control, that we do things we don't want to do, or after we do them, we feel we feel sick and we say, why do I keep doing that? It's, it's not good for me. It's not good for my family. It's ruining my life. And yet we still fall into the, the same trap over and over again. Sin imprisons us and controls us and in some ways enslaves us. Sin wants to smother us. It wants to overtake us. Sin doesn't care about your life. Satan doesn't care about your life. Do you know that the Bible says about Satan that he came to kill, steal, and destroy? Those are the things the scripture says about Satan. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so no good thing can come from what the enemy wants to do in your life. Now, we're at a loss to really explain sometimes how that happens, how we can let our guard down, let sin kind of get its foot in the door. And when we let our guard down and we let sin get its foot in the door, then slowly the tendrils of sin begin to wrap itself around us until we realize we've fallen into a trap and we can't get out of that trap. And um, sometimes when that happens to us, uh, we could have prevented it. We try to resist many times, and just like wrestling with blackberries, we feel the pain of thorns, and so we stop resisting, and sometimes we just, it's just easier to give up, and we let sin control us, but we, ne- we should never get to that place where we give up trying to be what Jesus set us free to be, our destiny as people, our destiny as sons and daughters of God, to be a holy people, to follow him, follow the footsteps of Jesus, to live as he lived and to live a righteous life. 
You know, sin changes us, and it never changes us for the good. Sin takes us far from God. And as believers, you know what happens when we sin. We feel so bad about having given in to temptation and sinning that we're, we begin to be a little distant from God. Like we won't pray the same. We won't worship the same. We don't want to talk to God because we're in a bad place right now. That's that distance that sin creates in our lives. And yet all the while, God is trying to press in to get close to you, to stay close to you. Sin also destroys relationships. It enslaves you by addictions, and those addictions or habitual sins can also take over, so it seems that it's a pattern that you can't be free of. Sin destroys our finances, our jobs. It consumes us so that the important things in life are neglected because we're just pursuing sin. Sin only takes away. And all it leaves behind in its wake is sorrow and regret. And I think we have to remind ourselves of that. When we're tempted, we have to remind ourselves of the end result of really giving in to that temptation. That's going to be that sorrow and regret. Listen to these words from Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. And it says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. Notice that word, enslaved. By all kinds of passions and pleasures. And we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Now notice those words. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So in the middle of everything that sin does, God wants to step in and he wants to rescue you and save you. And that's something to stand on. The foundation of our very lives is that we are loved by God. It's an everlasting love. There's nothing that we can do to earn that love. There's nothing that we could have done to earn that love before we came to Jesus. And there's nothing that we can do to earn that love today. We don't earn love. He loves us regardless. If we don't remember that, we are going to try to live a performance-based Christian life. And that is to say that we have to do things to please God. And if we don't do things to please God, he won't love us the same. He won't want us to be close to him, but that's not the case. It's not about performance. It's really about who we are and who he is. And you, as parents, know this. You know that you love your children. They don't always do good things, but you don't love them any less because of it. And you fully accept them because they're yours. They belong to you, and you belong to them. That relationship is a permanent relationship. It doesn't go away. They don't have to earn being a child of yours. They are a child of yours. And in the same way, we don't have to earn being God's sons and God's daughters. He gave you a new life so that you could be free. And in that freedom, you could have joy. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. That's his purpose for us. Life 
that is free from the things that bring us sorrow and regret and giving us joy or abundance, as it says. He was tortured by a crown of thorns and crucifixion to set you free from your prison of thorns. So it's your sin versus God's love and God's kindness. And that love and kindness is always reaching in. In Romans chapter 5 or 6, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, when I looked at that spot of clear land, I thought about new believers, as I've said before. They're rough around the edges. There's a lot of debris in our lives that needs to be cleared out. Don't judge a new believer. Don't see things that they do and say, they shouldn't be doing that. They probably don't know that, but the Holy Spirit's going to show them. It's not your job to clean people up. It's your job to love them and accept them. And if you love them and accept them into the family of God, then you will be allowing the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit to work it within them and to do what He needs to do. The moment you begin to take the Holy Spirit's job and start cleaning people up with little hints here and there about things they ought to not do or do, then you're taking the wrong position. You're becoming the Holy Spirit in their lives. But let God do it. God knows how to do it perfectly. God knows how to speak to people powerfully. There are so many times that people have come to me for counsel. And I know that if I give them counsel and tell them what to do, they're going to think that it comes from a man. And they'll either do it or not do it. But usually what I like to do is open the Bible and say, read this. What it, does it tell you to do? Then what is happening is they're receiving their instruction from God, right? And from his word, it's eternal. It's not come from a person and you can take it or leave it. It's come from God. And it's in your best interest. And it is to help you, not to hurt you. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 8, and we read some of this verse 5, it says he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And, and, and that's beautiful. No one ever came to Jesus and was saved because of the righteous things you had done. You know there are people on earth today that are trying to get to heaven by doing good things and good works, then there's nothing wrong with the good things and the good works, except they can't get you into heaven. You can't earn it yourself. There's no key. Good works is not a key that unlocks heaven's gates and lets you in. Only Jesus lets you in. He said he's the door. I am the door. So he's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the way not you and me doing good things. So we can't earn our way into heaven. It's not the righteous things that we've ever done, but it's because of his mercy towards us. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit 
and that's beautiful. We are washed, right? When we come to him and we confess our sins, we get washed. First John 1 John 1.9, we should all know 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what's that first step? That first step is confessing our sins to God. And that's the lifestyle that we need to live. Don't be ashamed that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. But always bring your sins to God and confess them to him and live that life of confession. Don't pretend that you're not a sinner to God. God sees through every facade. He sees through every smoke screen. He sees through everything and knows absolutely what you are and what your heart is all about. So never try to hide that from God, but let God in by being someone who confesses our sins to God because that confession is powerful because it allows his mercy to wash us of that sin. Then it goes on to say, whom he poured out on us, speaking of the Holy Spirit, generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now, here's the order of things according to the passage of Scripture that we just read. We don't try to do good things to get into heaven because we're sinners. No matter how much good we do, we are still sinners. But if we come to God and we ask for his forgiveness and we confess our sins to God, we are washed. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. And then that Holy Spirit that's inside of us prompts us to do good things. So you see, the good things come from the source of the Holy Spirit within us, not from our own strength wanting to get into heaven or gain brownie points with God. And that's the order that it should be, that the Holy Spirit is leading us to live the life that we want to live, that God wants us to live, that the good things that flow from our life is an overflow of our relationship with God. And that speaks to many of you who are doing things for Jesus. No matter how you serve Jesus, remember that your service for God should come out of your, the overflow of your relationship with God, not in your own strength. And so your devotion to God, your prayer, your personal relationship, that is the strength and foundation of all that you do for him in this life, not your own strength. Okay, let me turn the page here. So this is our story, and that is that we were bound by sin, far from God and lost, and we also, by the way, lost an identity when we were far from God, we're saved by grace. And then slowly and lovingly, Jesus begins to change us to make us more like him. Our old life patterns fall away, and we earn, learn a new way of living. You know, one of the problems of sin even as believers is that we've been forgiven yes and set free but we're still tempted and there's a good reason for that there's a good reason why we're still tempted and i want to go back to those blackberries you see the thing about blackberries even though they have wicked thorns even on the leaves the leaves have them is that it has fruit 
and that fruit is delicious. And who doesn't like a blackberry cobbler or a berry pie? And so that's what tempts us is that those plump, sweet blackberries, you know, ripening in the sunshine if we ever get it again. <laughs> well, actually, it's been a little bit warm, hasn't it? Yesterday we got some good warmth and sunshine. But that's what makes them delicious. And that's the problem of sin. And that sin has pleasures. You've heard that in the scripture, the pleasures of sin, right? <coughs> Those words go together often in scripture. And that's the problem of sinful things is that there are pleasures or prizes for sinful acts. But the Bible describes something in so many different passages by different names, the sinful nature, the sin nature, the natural man. The Bible also talks about the flesh. Those are all the same thing. That's the sinful nature that we have within us. In Galatians 5.17, it says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So what the writer of Galatians is trying to tell us is that the Holy Spirit within us is creating desires to be godly, and for God things, but our sinful nature is completely opposite and contrary to that and desires the things of the flesh. So God is in you and he's giving you his desires, but the, whole, but the sinful nature is within you and the sinful nature, sad to say, is always going to be with you until you die and go to heaven, or Jesus comes for you, whichever comes first, the sinful nature will be a part of our lives as long as we're alive. And it's part of the curse that came upon the earth from the sin of Adam and Eve and their sin brought into the human race a sin nature that tends or wants sin. And it's something that we're born with. It's something that all humanity has. And that's why no one can live a perfect life, that Jesus was the only one who ever lived a sinless life. It's because we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature tries to express itself. The only way to overcome that is to counter it with the Spirit of God that's within you. That's why God has given you the Holy Spirit within you, something to counter the sinful nature. You're not a slave to that sinful nature if you know Jesus, because Jesus has broken the power of that sinful nature. In Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men, because all sinned. And I think you know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It all comes from the sin nature. Now think for a moment. I want you to picture something in your mind, a cute, cuddly little baby. They are just precious. And they are innocent in God's eyes. And they've committed no sin. 
But that baby has something that's invisible. It's a sin nature. And someday, when that child gets older, that sin nature will begin to express itself. There is a time of innocence when they don't know right from wrong, their right hand from their left hand, sin or not sin. But then there becomes a time when they become aware of those things, aware of right from wrong, and they do wrong. And sin, and they sin. And I want to say something to you at this moment in time. Those of you who are Christian parents, who have raised your children in the best way possible, in the things of God, and they seem to go astray at a certain point in their lives. And I want to relieve you of guilt and to tell you it's not your fault. That you did the best you could. That you did fulfill your obligation as a Christian parent. And you taught your children, and you showed them the right way, and you gave them good examples, and you brought them to church, and you read them Bible stories, and you prayed with them, and you prayed for them, and you did everything right. And it's not your fault when they fall into sin, because remember, they have a sin nature, and you have no control over their sin nature as adults. That's not under your control. You shouldn't feel guilt because of what a sin nature is doing in someone else. But what you have done is you've planted something in their lives that they will never forget, that will always be there. And your prayers will always guide them and be a light before their path. There will always be a light there because of what you've taught them and what you're praying for them, and it will never go away. And that's the difference between them and others that weren't taught and others that didn't have somebody who was praying for them. God is faithful. And remember his faithfulness to bring the prodigals back to where they should be. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You did your job. Now let the Holy Spirit do his job and pray for them. Now, when Jesus saved you, broke the power of sin. Let me read to you a list of sins, as if the Bible didn't have several lists of sins. <laughs> Galatians 5.19, we see this list of sin, the acts of the sinful nature. Now, notice it's talking about the sinful nature. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity. Now, something impure is something unholy or polluted. And debauchery, now debauchery is excessive indulgence in sensual pleasure, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I like the last words, and the like, because there, you can't have a list of all sins, right? You can't have a list. But whatever the sin that tempts you, you can't allow it in your life. Because your sin nature is at work tempting you, and temptation is not a sin. It's not a sin for you to be tempted. Don't feel bad that you're tempted. It's what you do with the temptation that can lead to sin. But in the parable of my blackberries that I had 
in my, in my yard, they have roots. And we talked about cutting them down to little stubs and they have roots in the ground. Blackberry roots are really tough, tough things. Big knots of roots under the ground and it'd be a lot of work just to dig everything up. So you usually don't dig everything up. You usually just cut things down. But then what happens is from those roots come these little sprouts, these pretty little blackberry sprouts. The leaves are tender and green and it seems really innocent, right? Because they're just a foot tall and they're swaying in the breeze. And um, you're thinking to yourself, they're, they're not a danger. But in actuality, that's exactly what is the danger, is if you let those blackberries keep growing again. Because you just have to turn your back for a few days and all of a sudden they're four feet tall. <laughs> and last time you saw them, they were just this big. And it's the same with sin. And when sin begins to sprout or to tempt, then you have to do something about it. And I've found that if I cut down blackberries on a piece of land, I have to mow it over and over and over again, at least for three and sometimes four years before the roots will die. Now that's a long effort to kill a blackberry because it keeps wanting to come back. And it's the same with some sinful habits in our lives that unless we keep at it, it's going to stay strong, a strong desire in our lives. But if we keep working at it, if we keep hacking away, so to speak, at those little tender blackberry temptations, then eventually it's going to get easier and it's going to get better. And that's why you look at the lives of some mature Christians and you say to yourself, why don't they get tempted like I get tempted? And the fact is they have, but they spent time and effort knocking down those blackberries every time they try to poke their heads up and so they've come to a maturity so that they can overcome some of those things. So you really do have to stop sin at the temptation stage. And you have to show temptation no mercy. Amen. Now I have a machete. <laughs> that shouldn't surprise you. Because a lot of Latin people have machetes. <laughs> That's how we sort things out in the garden. That's how we sort things out in the garden. <laughs> so when the little blackberries start popping up, my machete comes out and we just start chopping them down or mowing them down, whatever needs to be done. But what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't be watering and fertilizing your little blackberry sprouts. You shouldn't be hugging your blackberry sprouts. You shouldn't have a secret stash of blackberry spouts somewhere growing that nobody knows. If you crave blackberries, you're going to find yourself protecting the blackberry vines. And that's what happens with sin and temptation. But in our hearts, we should be saying no, 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 no. Learn to say no. Admit your weakness. Your weakness is not something that you should be ashamed of. Everybody has weakness in some area. But protect yourself by being ruthless with sin and not letting it grow in your life. 
and as I said, confess your sins to God. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now there's an action that we need to do. We need to put to death the acts of the flesh. And we need to do it by the Spirit, the Bible says. So it's with God's help that we do this. And again, I go back to you do not have the willpower to keep chopping down that sin that keeps trying to pop up in your life. God has to help you. He has to be a part of the process. You have to ask for his help with it. And he's more than willing to help you. Now, the sin nature doesn't like to be in the background. The sin nature is loud and boisterous and always wants to come to the forefront. So the sin nature is not going to be a still, small voice speaking to you. The sin nature is going to be a loud cry in your ear, wanting something. We need the Holy Spirit's help. Now, some sins and temptations are planted into our lives by the enemy. Did you know that Satan knows exactly what your weakness is? You know, have you ever studied ancient battle strategy? What they did, probably not, but. <laughs> what they did is that they, they looked for a weakness in their enemy, right? If their enemy had a fortress, they wanted to find out what is the weakest part of this fortress? What's the weakest part of this wall? What is the weakness of my enemy? And they attack at the point of weakness, and the, the devil is the same. The devil wants to attack you at your point of weakness. So you probably know what your weakness is, but so does the devil. So the devil is going to attack you in that weakness, and he's going to plant seeds of temptation in the very place where you have weakness. And so your place of weakness should be a place of prayer and a place of confession and ask God to strengthen you when you know what you're weak toward. But sometimes when it comes to blackberries, I wonder, how did that blackberry get there? So I could have this really nice shrub that's supposed to give beautiful flowers, and then somehow in the middle of that shrub comes popping up a blackberry, right? And you look in the shrub, and there's three or four canes of blackberries, and you can't dig up your shrub, so you keep trying to cut back those blackberries, but they're hiding in there. They're hiding in there where you can't get to them always. But how did they get there? Well, one of the answer is bird poop. <laughs> and yes, it's come to that. We're going to talk about poop. <laughs> now, birds are nice. You like to see them at the bird feeders. You like to hear their songs in the morning when you wake up. But birds poop, right? So I don't like putting my lawn chairs out in the middle of the lawn, leaving them there all night, because a robin's going to come by looking for worms and saying, oh, there's a perch I could sit on so I can look at the ground and see if there's anything I can eat. And then next thing you know, I have a dirty lawn chair. So. They poop when they land, and they poop when they fly. And we don't like that when our windshield right, gets, gets messed up or dirty. But Satan poops, too. <laughs> he poops impure thoughts in our minds. 
He poops fear in our hearts. He poops envy and hatred and discord. He's planting everything he can, and his poop list is long. <laughs> He's a super pooper, right? He is really good at sowing seeds of temptation in every believer's life. But here's something to remember, and I heard it long ago. I don't know who I heard it from, maybe a teacher of mine somewhere. But they said, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. And I've always remembered that because it's a, it's a visual picture, right? And it's the same with those thoughts that the enemy plants because the first thing he does when he plants a temptation is in your life, it comes to your thoughts. Your thoughts are the place. Your imagination is the place where the enemy wants to plant his seeds. That's the forefront of the battle is your thought life. So you can't help it if a thought of temptation comes into your mind. That's okay, but you shouldn't be dwelling on that thought. You shouldn't let the bird make a nest in your hair. You should shoo it away, right? Shoo those thoughts away so that they don't become something that you meditate on, imagine, mull on, whatever it is. Those thoughts are things that are dangerous. Now close your eyes for a moment and imagine this. You have a plate and there's a beautiful piece of berry pie on that plate. And it's warm and there's a scoop of sinful ice cream on top of that berry pie. You can open your eyes now. It's not there, is it? But I planted a seed, a thought in your mind, and you could picture it. You could taste it. You could smell it, maybe. And the enemy does the same with sin. The enemy knows what your sinful nature likes. So it tries to gravitate to those things, to your weaknesses, to what your sinful nature likes, and to create those thoughts. And if you sit there and you daydream about the temptation, if you entertain the thoughts and the, the things that Satan has planted in your minds, then you're letting the sprouts of sin grow. You're hugging blackberry sprouts. But the Bible gives us an answer, and it's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I'd like to read that for you. And it says, no temptation. What's the first word there? No. No, not a single one. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And I want to point that out, too, because you see you're not alone. And that's what Satan wants you to think to think that you're the worst of all Christians because you're tempted in this way. That no one else is tempted like you and so you ought to keep it a secret because if you don't keep it a secret, then other people will know the horrible person that you are because you're tempted. But here it tells us that no temptation has overtaken you that someone else hasn't been tempted with, that is common to people. You are not alone, other people suffer the very same temptations that you do. You're not a horrible person. Satan is the horrible one, and he's planted those thoughts in your mind. And God, God is what? Faithful. He's faithful. I like that. He's faithful. He's not going to give up. 
He's always there. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, that blows away that excuse that Satan likes to give us and says, oh, this is just too strong for me. This temptation is too strong. It, it is my one weakness, and I can't overcome it. That's not true. Because it says here, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide what? A way out so that you can endure it. You know, sometimes the answer to our temptation is the way out. What's the way out of this room? There's a sign there, and it says exit. There's two signs over those doors. They say exit. When we're in the middle of temptation, are we looking for the exit sign that God has created for us, the way out of our temptation, or have we decided to stay? If the building was burning, are we going to let ourselves burn? Or are we going to find God's way out? It's the same with sin. Are we going to let sin take over? Or are we going to look for the way out that he has given us? And sometimes, literally, to get out of temptation, you just have to get out of that atmosphere. You just have to get away from those people that are feeding the temptation. You've got to get away from that situation. You literally, physically have to get out of there. I want you to remember this. This is a gift from God, a way out of every temptation. I want us to stand. We're going to pray this morning. I'd like to pray for you. And before I do, I just want you to know that you have a beautiful destiny in Jesus Christ. That no matter where you came from in life before you met Jesus, no matter how deep you had fallen, that it's Jesus who picks us up out of the muck and mire, out of that pit of despair that we couldn't do anything to help ourselves with, and he sets our feet upon a rock. And then he rains his love and mercy and grace upon us to wash away all of that muck and mire and filth so that we're standing there absolutely clean in his eyes. And sometimes we can't accept it because we know what we were doing and where we came from, but you have to accept it. You are totally forgiven. And as the Bible says, he will separate you from your sins as far as the east is from the west. They will never come together. He has separated you from those sins. It's a done deal when you come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Your forgiveness is absolute. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your temptation. He sees what Jesus did for you. And Jesus clothed you in his own righteousness. So God sees a daughter clothed in righteousness. God sees a son clothed in righteousness. And he wants to bring you close to him and keep you close. Now with our eyes closed, let me just say that if you're here today and you never have let Jesus into your life, that you've been struggling with sin and you've been trying to do it on your own, 
but you never confessed those sin to him and asked him to help you, then now's the time for you to do that. It's a simple thing to do, really. You just talk to him. Not talk to him as if he were here, because he is here, and he's listening to you. And just say to him in your heart or under your breath, Jesus, I need your help. I want you in my life. I need you to change me. I want freedom. And he will hear that prayer. He'll forgive your sins. And he'll bring you into his family. And he will lavish his love on you. The same thing he's wanted to do since the day you were born. Because he has a plan for you. And his plan for you is good. And to do good in your life. To give you a future. And to give you a hope. Let me pray for all of you. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. That I'm standing here. Among those that are loved by you. And nothing can diminish that love. We we are imperfect human beings, but we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your grace. And we pray, Lord, we need you and the Holy Spirit's help to keep us from falling under the trap of sin again in our lives. Lord, we don't like the feeling of being covered with blackberries so heavy that we can't even move or breathe. But we want to be free from all of that. So we ask you, Lord, to give us victory over our sin and our temptations and to help us to live the life that you promised us, filled to overflowing with good things, your goodness. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you that you're so willing to help us, that we're never on our own, that you're always by our side, and that you are the reason for our victory. And we have no victory without you. And so for this, we give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming today. If you do want to spend time in prayer, the altars are open or you can just sit and remember the words the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart today. So I pray that you have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Remember, God loves you. Thanks.